Hey, FOMO Sapiens, March is Women's History Month, and to celebrate all of the contributions of women in our society and in the business world, every episode this month features a fantastic female FOMO Sapiens. So listen into this month, we're going to have amazing new guests. They're going to tell you what they're doing, what they're building, and how they're doing it. And remember to thank the women in your life for all they have done for you and for society. FOMO. My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome back to FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. And we are back with another episode for our month of fantastic female FOMO Sapiens in honor of Women's History Month. Of course, I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and FOMO Sapiens 24-7. And our guest today is perfect for this month. When I read her book, I was just like, whoa, she is perfect for this show. Her name is Pyle Kadakia, and Pyle is the founder, and she was the executive chairman of ClassPass, which is a monthly membership program that provides people of all fitness levels access to the best boutique fitness classes, gyms, and wellness experiences across the U.S. and abroad. And since the company was founded in 2013, ClassPass has facilitated almost 100 million reservations in more than 20 countries. Now, like she didn't have enough to do, Pyle also is the founder and artistic director of The Sa Dance Company, which she founded back in 2009 with the mission to increase awareness of Indian dance, bring it to the mainstream. That's pretty amazing. Now, Pyle has appeared in all the major news outlets, places like Fast Company, where she was one of the 100 most creative people. She was named to Fortune's 40 under 40 list. And before she founded ClassPass, Pyle worked at Bain & Company and at Warner Music Group. She has a degree in operations research from MIT. Impressive. <laughs> now, on this show, you're going to learn a couple of things. First of all, she's going to detail her rejection of a traditional path to success, one that was foisted upon her, in her own words, by her Indian parents. She's going to talk about the financial realities of leaving the treadmill to run your own company. And I like that a lot because, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, just do what you love. And she's she's much more practical, which I think I think is a real it's a service to all of us. She's going to talk about the impact of the pandemic on the business. Remember, this was all in person. They had to completely pivot, which is a huge lift. And she talks about how dance, Indian dance, gave her her true calling and how it helped her to keep balance when things were getting a little crazy at the startup. Now, I do have one small ask today, which is please consider subscribing if you haven't already subscribe to the show it helps me so much it helps the show to make sure that we're there for you every week with great content reach more people and please share this episode with somebody who you think would enjoy it and while you are subscribing if you can give me five stars assuming that you think I'm worth it I'd appreciate that as well all right and now I feel like I just asked you for a lot of things but I appreciate you considering it and now on to the interview as you know, I like to start with the same question every week, and I ask Pyle my favorite question. What's a formative decision you've had to make to get to where you are today? I had to quit my job, the corporate job, and go towards this unstructured, no salary 
place to really go for what I really wanted to in my life. And when you did that, how long did it take you to decide? So it was six years after college, right? And I think that's important to talk about because I spent six years sort of working in the professional world. I was a consultant. I then worked at um, Warner Music Group in the music industry, and I was trying to do what was the responsible thing according to everyone else in my life. But inside, I had a fire in me. I had a passion in me that really wanted me to go another way. And I finally, after six years, it was a matter of me making sure I had saved enough money, um, built enough experience. And I think another big part of it was that I had my parents' blessing. And I think that was a really important part for me because I grew up as you know, the daughter of immigrants who had given up everything to be here. And I didn't want to just go jump off a cliff without having, you know, their foresight and blessing into it. And they were on board by the time I decided to make that leap, which was very important to me. And and we're going to talk about some of those aspects today, because I think it's really, you know, it's sometimes we get the old, the old kind of Instagram version of the story, which is like, I quit my job and then I'm, you know, right. started a successful company. But like having the financial sort of resources, having the support, like that stuff, you don't just do that one day. So I appreciate you uh, that you get into that and we will discuss that in detail today. But I want to start first in your book, which just came out called Life Pass. You say that your mantra is, and this made me laugh because you're like, my mantra has been attributed to both Shakespeare and Picasso, which which is like both good people, but I mean, somebody should figure that out. But the, the mantra is, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose is to give it away. So we're going to kind of get into that right now. I want to start with the first part. The meaning of life is to find your gift. How did you figure out what your gift was? So we all have these innate talents, right? I think the whole world kind of gravitates towards something or another. I got lucky and found it at a really young age, and it was dancing. It was, you know, Indian dance specifically. And for me, which we haven't gotten to the second part of the statement, but it really was this place where I knew I shined and I could give to others, which I thought was so important to it. But it really was dance for me. I, uh, I, I like how you, you kept yourself from jumping ahead because that, that's I know really I was about to go. But I, I appreciate you. Uh, so yeah. Th- and then the, the part about giving away. I, so I would say then you figured out, which is this, which is dance. And then you, you decide that the giving away part is to start a business class pass, which for those of you who haven't used class pass, I will tell you something. I know several people whose entire lives are dictated by ClassPass. Like they literally, it's like their schedule revolves around it. So first of all, tell us, I guess, you know, how you came up with that idea and and explain ClassPass for those of people who maybe haven't used it before. Yep. So ClassPass is a fitness and wellness membership program. It lets you book different experiences like spinning, massages, biking, and different places all around the world. We work with 30,000 different providers. We were actually just recently acquired uh, by MindBody, but you know the, the product is out and about and you know we've got a bunch of people using it around the world and it's really changed their lives and we've booked over 100 million uh, reservations to date, which is what I am most proud of. And so you come up with this idea and what made you think, okay, m- you know, me, I'm the one to do this. Like, what? Because that is an audacious idea. Anytime an entrepreneur hatches an idea, Fair. I mean, yeah, you'd worked, you worked at Bain, you'd worked at Warner, you'd had real jobs, but you know, it's, that's one thing to, that, that's a big, a little different than building of, you know, 
I mean, Unicorn, which you which you did with 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 ClassPass. So take us through those early days and how you kind of built up the confidence to actually go and do this. Right. And I think this actually goes back to the second part of the question that we didn't fully get to, which was when I was younger and I found dance, it wasn't just about me being good at something. I found that I could use it to make people feel something, right? So this whole idea of being in service of other people or impacting other people just sort of was something I felt at a very young age and honestly triumphed many other things in my life, like needing money or needing to go shopping or traveling or other sort of, you know, more, more tangible things that I think people want in their life because I had this place that just made me feel so alive. So most of my, you know, years when I was at Bain and even working at Warner on the weekends, I was in dance rehearsal and performing and I would invite my friends to shows and they were always like, what are you doing this weekend? I'm going to the Hamptons or I'm going to brunch. And I'm like, I have rehearsal. I'll see you guys on Monday. And that was just the way I lived. And I didn't question it because I enjoyed it and it was so fulfilling. And here I was, you know, and I really consider myself as somebody who fought to dance through these years. I don't think it was easy. I obviously talk about it in a way that, yeah, I was doing it, but I, it was something I had to constantly fight to keep in my life. Where was I going to fit in classes? Where was I going to, you know, fit in that performance? Did I have any meetings where I'd be traveling? It was always a big puzzle, but I was committed to it. And I realized that so many of my friends and people in my life who had had these childhood dreams, being Olympians, being, you know, a great, great musicians of the world had sort of just given up on these things and started living this corporate ladder, trying to, you know, get a promotion, get married, all these, you know, sort of things that society stipulates for you without thinking about what their heart and passion is. So there was always that going on in my life, which I think is important to preface before I get to the actual problem I wanted to solve, because mm -hmm. that's sort of what supported my foundation is the fact that I had actually been fighting this for me my whole life. And starting class pass was me taking this fight on for everybody else in their life. And I already was so attuned to the problem that, of course, it manifested as a tech problem because I was sitting there on a Tuesday looking for a ballet class and I couldn't find the right class and time and teacher. And so that turned into a real tangible problem I could fix with technology, right? And that's when I started thinking, okay, let me go build an open table for classes. And that sort of seemed to be the product idea that came to me first. But all of it really started with this mission of wanting to solve a problem to make people feel what I always had in dance in their life. FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages, but I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French, c'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. Now, you write in the book about the fact that it was hard to balance. In fact, Bain, you sort of got the feedback from your boss. It's like, listen, 
you know, and it's like, I just want to call that person and be like, you gave a bad advice or that's not fair, but we're not going to do that. But sort of like you have to choose. And I think that that's the system. The system says, well, the treadmill only, you know, the treadmill is narrow, right? You can't have a wide treadmill for all the things. And so, you know, you, you had faced that. Now I imagine when you started class pass, a lot of people told you no, because, oh, well, you can't do that. You know, why would, why would, uh, why would a, a salon or why would a, a gym want to allow people to join and, and just come in at a discounted rate? I imagine there's a lot of no there. How do you push past no? Because it sounds like you're pretty good at it. So share the secrets. Uh, yeah, I, I think a few strategies, I would say. One of the ways to push past, past no is to find other people who are going to say yes and have the hope mm-hmm. that someone else is going to say yes. And I think I just never, ever let myself feel that there wasn't another person I could go to. And I think that's what you really just have to have that faith and that hope, that that dream that keeps you going. And I think that's the sort of fire and spark that keeps founders going. Um, on the other side of it, I think part of what was challenging for me, and actually I didn't really see it at the time, but I was a female entrepreneur who was building a very female-centric company, pitching to very male-centric firms, you know? And I didn't let it get to me at the time. I just was obviously, like I said, I was focused on getting the capital of moving forward. But I did remember a lot of times people to say, why don't you build this for personal training or something that they felt comfortable in? And eventually, and this took me three years, really, until I had a product and the boutique fitness industry was growing and I had hockey stick growth, like literally it was one of those things where people just couldn't ignore me and the product because the the growth of the product, the virality of it was something that everyone was completely astonished by, right? And it was one of those dreams that every VC is looking at to be like, oh yeah, you want the hockey stick. And I finally had it. And it was actually after three years of going to Silicon Valley that I had it. And I saw everything flip. Like I saw the way all the relationships changed overnight. And it was pretty interesting to see that and witness that from going from somebody who literally like no one wanted to talk to, to obviously having the product and the data that finally supported the vision. While I obviously always say, I wish they supported me earlier because I always had the vision, you know, I get that sometimes it takes a bit more time. And like I said, data to really be able to prove it, but I was never going to give up. And, um, you know, an investor once said this to me is that, you know, investors invest in lines, not dots. So you really want to make sure that line is constantly going up, right, with the progress that you're making. Yeah, what you're saying here reminds me of a, a past guest we've had on the show who I'm sure you know, Kate Ryder of Maven Clinics. Yeah. And when she started that business, she found, you know, it's women-centric healthcare. So she'd be pitching a room full of guys who were like, wait a minute, you're telling us that it's a huge market? It's it's bigger. It's more than 50%. And she's like, yeah, that's, you know, here are the numbers. But it's sort of like, as we all know, people have their sort of implicit biases. And sometimes like until you can give them the data, whether that's right. market data that or just the data of your business performing, they're not going to do the work. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. And I think when you are from like underrepresented communities, that's just sort of what you need to do. And, you know, it makes me even with anything I've accomplished in my life, as much as, you know, I'm proud of it, what I always know is that, wow, my story I know is a data point for someone else to be able to give hopefully another female, maybe even a woman of color, a check, you know, and that that does make me proud. Now, you write about the expectations of others a lot in the book. And I think that this is another thing that you see in like an immigrant family where there's like 
a desire for safety. And a, a lot of founders do come from immigrant families and they have to kind of change mom and dad's mind who are like, why don't you go to, you know, stay at the investment bank? And it's a hard pivot, right? And I think many of us feel that. I, and and I still think, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, if I just was a hedge fund manager, like my dad would be slightly happier. Sorry, dad. But I yeah. think that. So talk about, talk about that, how you, how you manage that. Because I think that's something that so many of us struggle with. Yeah. Um, you know, my parents, by the way, I will say have been my number one champions. I, I talk about this in my book. I was set up in a way where I believe I had a team when I was like five years old. And whether that was getting piled to be able to perform at a party and having a team of my mom, my dad, and my dance teacher helping me, I realized at a very young age that people can help you to create good things in the world. And my parents were always a part of my team. That being said, they had their own experiences. They had to make sure, you know, I was safe, protected, all of that. And so I think when, you know, they were projecting that onto me, I think one of the biggest things I did was to help build their confidence in my skills, right? So that meant oversharing my journey. I think a lot of times we have the tendency to hide the things that we think that people are going to yell at us for, right? Or say no to. And I did the exact opposite. I think I overshared to the point where it was probably, you know, too much. And my mom and dad have, you know, they're different. I think in every relationship, you always know your mom and dad are going to give you a little bit of different advice. But I would like overshare with my mom in certain ways and then overshare with my dad in certain ways. My dad obviously was the one who wanted me to go to business school and school was just the most important thing to him. And, you know, I, I think over time, and I, I talk about this one experience in the book where I had a big dance show and it went really well. And the day after, after my dad was kind of hounding me about the GMATs, he's like, you know, I started looking up arts programs at Columbia, which was so sweet. Like, I think for wow. someone to realize what a compromise that was for my dad and like to get his brain to shift a little bit to be like, oh my God, my daughter is creative. And like, she really likes being here and an artist, but okay, she still needs to go get another degree. It was just a very sweet moment for him to come to that. But I think all of these moments, what I realized is oversharing is what gets them on board because at the end of the day, it's fear for them, right? It is nothing else. So the best way for them to overcome that is information, right? It's not, it's not, it's not putting them in a place where they don't know what's going on because that's just going to create more and more anxiety for them. Yeah. My new catchphrase for 2022 is fear-based decision-making leads to suboptimal outcomes and incomes. Very true. And I just came up with that and I'm using it. So everybody get ready. But it is like, if you think about it, if you had made decisions based out of fear, you wouldn't be where you are today. If you didn't, if you just kind of were afraid to tell your parents and to show them who you were and your very, you know, sort of wide set of talents, they wouldn't have understood and had the confidence in you. So it's it's when you put the facts in and you replace the fear, people can make better decisions. Absolutely. And I think a big other part of expectations I have learned, and I really recommend this to everyone, is when certain expectations are not serving you, you have to shut them off. And whether that means saying like goodbye to people, not having certain people in your life, turning off social media, you are in control of your mind. And I think people forget that. And we feed our brains with so much of the wrong information that takes us away from the path that is actually the best for us and our ability to really chart our own journeys in our life. You just teed me up because talking about expectations, you know, you are uh, a very prominent figure. You, you were the first uh, South Asian founder of a unicorn. 
And at one point, you had to make the decision to transition from being the CEO of the company to being the chair of the board and taking on a different role, which I got to think, you know, people are always giving you lots of affirmation and how great you are. But inside, you're like, hmm, is this the place I'm supposed to be? So talk about that decision. So, you know, I think a lot of times, especially it was hard because titles seem to be what everyone always craves in their life. I never started a company to be a CEO. I never started a company, you know, to reach a unicorn valuation. I started a company to make an impact in the world and enjoy the work I do. And I think when, you know, your companies grow, and this happens in so many startups, right? Like CEO role just sort of takes on a whole other flavor. And especially being a female founder during this time, it came with like even more pressure because everyone was like, I want you to do this and I want you to do that. And it was a lot of stuff that I felt was taking me away from what I really enjoyed and did no longer felt authentic to how I wanted to be spending my time. And honestly, I had been here before in my life when, when I quit my job, right? And decided to start my company. And I realized that this is on me to keep changing. I had never listened to what society's expectations were. And of course, if I followed society's expectations in that point, I would have obviously been like, oh yeah, I'm going to keep the title and do all that because I felt boxed into it. And every single time I feel boxed in, my reaction and my, my, I know my true self is to like shatter it to get to the other side. And I needed to do that. And I knew the only way I could do that was to get rid of that title. And obviously you can only do that if you have the right team, you know, with you. And I feel really lucky that throughout my journey at ClassPass, you know, I've been able to find great people to, who believed in me and at the same time have been able to operate and execute the vision that we've always had from the very beginning. And I think that is something that requires a lot of self-awareness. I think it's very hard to do that. Yeah, of course, I was scared. I knew people were going to, you know, say, oh my God, did something happen? And, 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 and you know, and almost question it. But I had to remember, it was, this was a decision that I know was right for me. And that means it is the right thing to do. And I think in any career decision, you can't make decisions based on what everyone else is going to think. You have to do what's right for you. FOMO. FOMO. Now in January 2020, you're riding high. ClassPass raises a huge round, billion dollar valuation. Companies like blowing up. And then boom, COVID. Now that had to feel awful because the from what I read is I did a little research, basically like, you know, bookings fell by 95%. You had to pivot to online. Just a whole like just yeah. the absolute nightmare for a business like yours. So the business is, you know, it's survived. You guys, you know, were able to work it through. But I just would love to hear for, you know, I think that you, you were dealing with such uncertainty and you had to, you know, you, I just have to imagine just from a mental perspective, you're like, oh my goodness, my entire sort of life's work is now imperiled. Like, how did you manage through that situation? By the way, I will also add, I had a baby January 29th of that. Same oh my goodness. You were like, this January is the best January my, ever. <laughs> my, my, the six weeks after when I had a six, six week old uh, baby and all of this happened at the same time. So I'm just mm. adding that because sometimes, you know, and yeah. I think it's important to realize the mental state of everyone, you know, at sure. that time. And it was just a really tough period. But here's what I will say is the DNA of ClassPass has always been one that has been built on this resilience and pivoting. I mean, I think anyone who has known the company has known we have 
we have changed, we have iterated, we have pivoted, you know, and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's been bad, right? But we've we've never been okay with staying stagnant just because people think we should. And so, you know, going into video as quickly as we could and honestly shifting our focus to saving our partners was such an important part of this. And I think we knew because we had just raised capital that we would be okay for a long enough period, but we needed to make sure the industry survived, right? And especially even at the end of it, when we ended up um, being acquired by MindBody, we owe, all of it was because we, we knew we had built something that was going to stay. The, the ethos behind ClassPass is one that will last forever. It's, we know that. This was obviously a shift in a time period. Um, and obviously some behaviors are going to change on the other side of this, but do we still believe people are going to be looking for fitness and wellness experiences? Absolutely. So for us, it really became a, how do we get through this in the best way possible and hold hands with our partners, right? And the rest of the industry to make sure we're all on the other side of this in a way that we're all stronger and not weaker. And that's really what our focus went to. But look, uncertainty was terrible. I mean, I, I always remember conversation would be like, okay, well, we'll put the plan on for like relaunch in September. And then it was like, okay, March. And then, okay, like September again. And it kept getting pushed, you know? And I think it was really hard for the team. You know, I think that was probably one of the hardest things to, to not be able to go because the people in our team at Classpass are, they're just such hard workers and we love that energy and we were in a waiting game. So it was just a really tough time to kind of go through this because it wasn't, we were waiting more for then, than sort of innovating and creating at the time. Yeah. And it is lucky. I mean, your point about you just closed around, so you had the runway. In fact, Mark Mercado Libre, which is a NASDAQ 100 company now and is worth a gazillion dollars. The only reason that company survived in 2001, 2000, 2001, is because they'd raised around right before. And so I was an investor in that company. I remember just like we saw a lot of other great companies that shifted, but they had, you know, it's a great company, of course, but they're also the timing they had. Right was amazing. And right. So. And look, no one can, no one could have suspected this right in any, mm -hmm. in any way. Um, and that is, you know, we did have that moment and we got lucky and, you know, and even like I said, I think my body and class pass together is another moment where, you know, the companies together are going to be able to make more impact on the industry and continue to move the ethos forward. Now the book is called life pass and you know, you're giving a kind of a playbook for people who are looking to unlock their potential. And you have a couple of things that I just want to bring up because folks are going to go check it out. But there's a couple of things that I love that you focused on. Cause it was like, you know, some of these books love, love the intent behind them, but they're like written as if like from the top of the mountain, it's sort of like, they're not realistic. And mm. you talk about finances and I was like, Oh, thank you for doing that. So talk about Yes. kind of that stuff. Yeah. And I love that you just said that my, my husband always sees people, you know, DMing me being like, I'm going to quit my job because of you. Like, thank you. And he's like, <laughs> I hope you tell them like what you did before, you know? And I, and so I, I really remember, and I was like, I have to talk about this and I never get a chance to, right? No one ever wants to talk about this when I'm being interviewed. Everyone's like, tell me about how you, how you made the decision, but I, I do, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I'm, I'm glad you're asking this because you know, I talk about this, like I sat down with my dad, we came up with the budget, we came up with, you know, I had six years of savings, right, to actually be able to put towards my dream. And of course, by the way, I really want to say this to people, I don't expect other people to be there. But what, what I really want people to realize is you have to make your money work for you and your dream. So that means if you do have a dream, it doesn't mean, oh, I can never do it, because I'm never going to have enough money. It means start coming up with the plan 
today to save, right? To earn some extra income if you need to. So you can start putting stuff together in a plan in place. So you don't feel trapped. I think money is the one of the most trapping of the constraints I talk about in the book. And I see so many people not living their best life, right? Because of this prison they're in with money. And I really want people to see money in a different way. And by the way, I say this because I grew up with close to no money, you know? And so I've seen, like, I've seen it from all sides. And I really believe that you need to find a way to be, you know, thoughtful about every dollar, put a strategy in place and then execute on it. And once you really know what money is also worth to you, I think that's the other big thing of it is um, one of the things, and, you know, I used to never travel as I was talking before, I didn't really shop, Like those things didn't have value to me. This was once again, my personal choice, right? I think everyone needs to know what theirs is, but I had a dance show and I had to put a $30,000 check down and I was like, great, let me do it. And I didn't question that because the dance show meant so much to me. And I think that's what people really need to do is what are you, what do you want to spend money on? That's actually going to add value to your life. And that's how I made the decisions and choices with my money. And I really encourage other people to do that so they can unleash themselves from, you know, this constraint that we sometimes have. All right. The book is Life Pass. Drop your limits, rise to your potential. You can find more about Pile at her Instagram, which is really nice, by the way. It's at Pile, P-A-Y-A-L. You can also check out the website for the book. It's lifepassbook.com. And I encourage you to go to YouTube where you can find Pyle's Sangeet dance, which I checked out as somebody who's taken Indian dance lessons and danced with a former guest of the show, Anu Dougal, at a wedding. I had mad respect for your your dance skills. It was very impressive. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I love it. And I, I love my culture and just want to share it with the world. So thank you for encouraging people to watch it. All right. Pyle Kodakia, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Patrick. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMcGinnis.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO.